My husband wishes you would stop having it. <laughs> he always joked that my daughter would never learn to walk because as she was in that pulling up stage, she would pull up on, on or she would never learn, she would never want to learn to read because she'd pull herself up on the stacks of books all over her house. They'd topple over, but we've persevered and she loves to read regardless. So thank you. For those of you who I haven't yet met, my name is Nancy Egan, and I'm the campus minister at United Campus Ministry at the University of Tulsa. Uh, we are better known on campus as the Little Blue House um, because we are housed in a very falling apart, dilapidated Little Blue House. <laughs> we are an ecumenical and interfaith campus ministry dedicated to the pursuit of peace and justice. And as such, we are home to a number of TU student groups that organize around justice issues including Pride, the organization formerly known as the Bisexual, Lesbian, Gay, Transgendered, Queer, Straight Alliance, the Coalition for Women's Issues, Earth Matters, the Cultural Exchange Coalition, Amnesty International, and many others in our 46-year history. It has been an honor and a privilege for me to serve there for the past 11 years. When my husband Mark was transferred with his job from Connecticut to Tulsa in 2001, I will admit that I was not the most willing of transferees. I had only driven through Oklahoma twice in 1985, and I'll admit I don't think we stopped. <laughs> but I did know of Oklahoma's political and religious reputation. As a Congregationalist who had graduated from Divinity School a few years earlier, Having studied feminist liberation theology and gay theology and environmental theology and social justice organizing and interfaith movements, I wondered if there was A, a UCC church in Tulsa, and B, any sort of job for me. The first time we drove past Fellowship Congregational Church, which ended up being our home church, we missed it. Having realized the address numbers were getting larger, we turned around and drove back, and we missed it again. <laughs> we were looking for a tall white steeple and white clabberds of the UCC churches that populate every town green in New England, not the small brick building set way back in Harvard next to a Brahms. <laughs> but we finally found our UCC church, and within it an amazing community, and at the time, the Reverend Russell Bennett, one of the most compassionate, authentic ministers I have ever had the privilege to know. I was at home one morning, still possibly in the fetal position on my couch, <laughs> contemplating where I had landed and wondering what in the world I was going to do here when I received a call from Russ Bennett, telling me that I needed to meet him in his office at my earliest convenience. As I entered his office, he leaped up from behind his desk and met me, met me halfway across the room and put a piece of paper in my hand, and he said, this job was created for you. I think you should apply, to, I think you should apply today. I looked down, and in my hands was a job description for a campus minister at the University of Tulsa that was interested in ecumenical and interfaith relationships, feminism, GLBT issues, environmentalism, human rights, and social justice issues. It turns out all of those years at Divinity School when people constantly and repeatedly asked me what my eclectic and non-traditional course of study could possibly be preparing me for, it turns out I was preparing for the perfect job in this little ramshackle blue house in the midst of the TU campus. Surely God has a sense of humor. 
(laughs) When I was offered that job in 2002, I had no idea that this particular weekend would become one of the most important each year in our ministry. As many of you probably know, this weekend is the Tulsa Pride Festival, hosted by Oklahomans for Equality, who will proudly tell you they are the sixth largest equality center in the United States. For more years than anyone can remember, the GLBT student organization at TU and allied members of the Little Blue House have marched in the Tulsa Pride Parade. My students will jokingly tell you, although it happens to be true, that the only day in any given year that I am guaranteed to wear a clerical collar is during the Pride Parade. (laughs) Because what my divinity school education did not prepare me for is that the most heartbreaking part of my job, and the thing that still wakes me at 3 a.m. year after year, is the stories of my students who have accepted their sexual orientation or gender identity, but whose families cannot or will not be supportive in the name of religion. A month will go by without hearing a new story, and I will get this irrational hope that maybe this is no longer an issue, and then someone requests a meeting, and I'll hear a version of that story again. No matter how many laws that we pass that protect the rights of GLBT citizens, if those closest to you are condemning, it has a terrible impact. One may have the legal right to marry one's partner, but if one's family won't recognize that relationship, there is still immense pain and suffering. And even worse, so much homophobia in our culture originates from and is justified by religion and religious communities. At the hands of ministers and Christian communities, my students have been subjected to everything from Christian reparative therapy aversion therapy, reprogramming, shunning, the list goes on. Some are told, some of the who come from more moderate churches are told that their churches love the sinner, but not the sin. To be told that one's God-given sexual orientation or gender identity, to be told that one's God-given sexual orientation or gender identity is inherently sinful is a message neither loving nor affirming. It became evidently clear that while I care about many justice issues, one of the ways I could best minister to students who find their way to the Little Blue House was to be an unwavering ally and a voice within our religious community that all are welcome and beloved by God. And so, among many other activities, we march. If you have been to the Pride Parade here in Tulsa, you know that it really is a remarkable event. Gathered together are allied community organizations and open and affirming churches and GLBT youth groups and drag queens and LGBT-friendly businesses and families of all races and ages and ethnicities in this bubbling sea of rainbow humanity, which my daughter says is sprinkled with glitter. It is joyous and over-the-top and celebratory. I will also admit it is sobering, because when you you round the final corner of the parade route, you encounter the protesters. Now let me be clear, I believe in the right of the protesters to be there. Freedoms of speech and religion are amazing gifts. 
But I do wish the protesters had a better understanding of the impact of their messages. Even after 12 years, knowing that some of them are the exact same people with the exact same signs, one group of men stands silently with their scripture passages has been there every year I have marched. The force of some of their vitriol can still take my breath away. Each year I I take a picture of a sign or two as a reminder, like George Takei reminds us, that our work is not yet done. A sign I had not seen before yesterday, and that was one of the worst I've seen in years, had the word gay, like an acronym, spelled out at the top of the sign. And coming down from each of those letters, it spelled out, God abhors you. G-A-Y. God abhors you. It is one thing to be hateful. It is another thing entirely to invoke God as complicit in your hatefulness. God as the author and ordainer of your hate. The bearer of that sign has the constitutionally protected right to spread his message. But who bears the responsibility for the broken hearts and minds and psyches and spirits that result from that message. In the fall of 2010, I was sitting at my computer at home working on a vigil we were helping to organize at the University of Tulsa in in memory of Tyler Clemente and the other gay teens who had taken their lives after being the victims of bullying and harassment because of sexual orientation. When my then six-year-old daughter as is her wont when she has a question for me that she thinks might be tricky, sidled up to me as I was typing and quietly asked, Mom, what does gay mean? I replied, well, gay means two people of the same gender who love each other. And then I went on to list just a few of the many gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgendered people that are a part of our lives. She thought for a moment, then she said, oh, so it means normal then. To which I replied, absolutely. Normal is, of course, a loaded word, because for far too long in our history, we have equated normal with the norms of the majority. If the majority of people are right-handed, that must be normal. If the majority of people have white skin, that must be normal. If the majority of people are heterosexual, that must be normal. Anything outside of normal, then, is suspicious at best, to be feared and combated at worst. Indeed, for many years until it was reclaimed, the word queer, meaning different, outside the norm, was the pejorative label of choice for those who wanted to label and demonize the GLBT community. Of course, my six-year-old didn't have access to this critiques of society's social constructions of normalcy. By using the word normal, she was just articulating her vision of the world in which her best friend's family comprised of two moms and one kid is no different than her own family comprised of one mom, one dad, and a kid. In her world, a family is a family, and they are all normal. My misgivings about the word normal aside, I share my daughter's vision and ask, isn't this the vision of the world we seek? one in which sexual orientation and gender identity are no longer other, but are simply a part of the beautiful spectrum of life, not to be feared or argued against or fixed or converted or demonized or condemned, but to be celebrated and embraced 
and cherished as an integral part of the gift of diversity that is humanity. Perhaps a part of our task is the need to reclaim the word normal, that a normal community is one without hate. A normal community is one in which acceptance and mutuality and respect for everyone is modeled and practiced. A normal community is one in which the needs of everyone, not just the majority, are respected and met. When my students share their stories of being rejected by families and religious communities because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, the pain, uncertainty, loneliness, and despair of these stories are haunting and they are heartbreaking and they cause me to continually reassess what I believe about faith and religion. But they are also a stark reminder that as a minister, I bear some responsibility for pain caused by my tradition and that I can be an agent of change within it. When I have heard, as many of us probably have, as George Takei mentions in the reading, that people are tired of me talking about gay issues, I have finally learned to take a new tack after 30 years. In a Facebook post, I recently responded to a critic that was, quote-unquote, tired of hearing about gays asking for special rights. So I responded, okay, you're tired of hearing about GLBT issues? Fine, then now let's talk about heterosexual privilege, which is actually the real problem. Let me be clear. The problem does not lie with gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender people. It lies with the heterosexuals who created a system that speaks to their needs as a majority by sanctioning their marriages, allowing them the tax breaks associated with that, and defining them, the heterosexuals, as being fitting parents to adopt children among many, many other rights that are not shared by those who are GLBT. But these same heterosexuals too often don't want to acknowledge or relinquish a system in which, relinquish this system that they have created that privileges them. Because privilege works best if it seems invisible. Instead of saying, hey, the system is rigged in my favor because I'm heterosexual, you're suggesting that GLBT people are asking for special rights when really they're asking to be included in the rights that you consider normal, that you have never had to question or doubt were yours. So from this point forward, let's talk about privilege. That debate, both on Facebook and everywhere else, is ongoing. In his book, Gay Theology Without Apology, which was written many years ago but still incredibly relevant, Gary David Comstock asks the questions, what if it were a norm of religious communities to lift up mutuality and reciprocity in relationship? What if in religious communities in which sin is a theological construct, sin were defined as the violation of mutuality and reciprocity in the form of dominance and submission? What if we were to label as sinful acts in which one group exercises power over others that compromises their ability to live fully and institutionalizes the denial of equal opportunity, participation, and representation in the social order? What if a normal task of religious communities was to assist and support people in becoming fully human so that they might live as fully functional, affectional, active humans with a purpose? 
What if, as communities of faith, it was our task to replace unjust relationships with partnership, cooperation, sharing, and exchange? To include people and to recognize difference as a resource for building meaningful relationships rather than as the basis for the unequal distribution of power? What if the normal response as a campus minister to a student saying, I'm gay, were hallelujah, you are on a journey of discovering who you are meant to be? Okay, that might be my normal response. But what if it were everyone's? The good news is that I have the beginning of an answer to those what-ifs, because people are gathering. On Thursday night, across differences of faith and practice here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, an interfaith gathering joined together to say that they do affirm the beauty of diversity. Yesterday, all along the parade route through downtown Tulsa, religious communities marched and held signs and sponsored booths with a message of love and inclusion and acceptance. Here at Hope Unitarian, you have had a long tradition that lifts up mutuality and respect. Despite the protesters, we will continue to stand strong. Together, in solidarity, in our belief that acceptance and love of all creation are traditional and valuable religious norms. Are we normal? Absolutely. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.